Hello, my name is Tim Lorman, and I'm a uh, member serving here at Genesis, and uh, welcome, welcome this morning to Genesis Community Church. I want to start off by talking to you children. Um, if uh, I have an activity for you kids, if, if while we're listening to the sermon, whenever you hear the name Thomas, I want you to put a mark on your, your sheet of paper, if you have a sheet of paper. If you don't, there's clipboards and sheet of paper in the back. So whenever you hear the name Thomas, I want you to make a mark. And whoever has 30 marks by the end of the, the sermon, I have a treat for you. Should I tell or should I not? <laughs> it, 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 uh, yeah, Job, uh, Kit Kats or Rhesus. And I, and I have plenty, and there's limited children, so hey, if one of you uh, older folks wants to bring me a sheet as well, we'll go for it. Let's, uh, let's pray, pray together. Father, we, um, we want to see you exalted in our midst. We want to see you lifted high. Lord, so we ask that you would help Help me, help us to see you with the eyes of our heart. I also ask, uh, Spirit of God, that if there um, are those who are just struggling with unbelief, struggling to believe you, Father, whatever that might look like, that you would help, that you would give um, strength, you'd give clarity, you would show where the unbelief is, Father, and that people would see the risen Jesus. Open our eyes, Father. We want to know you and we want to follow you. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. So I want to start by reading verse 31, the last verse from our, our passage. Verse 31 says, But these have been written, these being the gospel of John, have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. This verse is the summary verse of the entire book of John. This is it right here, the summary. So 62 sermons in the series. This is number 63, a year and a half, and we get to the summary verse. If you're wondering, here, here is why the book was written. These things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ and that believing you may have life in his name. Now, this is also the summary to our text before us, the story of Thomas struggling with unbelief. So I want, I want to read this verse again. I want you to consider it now in light of the story of Thomas struggling with unbelief. But these have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. So the question for us, and the question I've been considering with this passage is why does John put verse 31 at the end of the story of Thomas struggling with unbelief? Why does he do that? No other gospel writer records the story of Thomas. 
doubting God. Yet not only does John record this story, but he records a story, and then he puts the summary of the entire book of the Gospel of John directly after the story of Thomas. Why would he do that? What is John trying to do with this? Here's here's what I think his intention is. John is looking to connect the pinnacle of the gospel narrative, that is the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus with the state of humanity struggling with unbelief. That's what he's doing. I want to say that again because this is so, so key. John is looking to connect the pinnacle of the gospel narrative. That is what we've just spent the last so many weeks in, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. This is actually the pinnacle, not only of this gospel, it's the pinnacle of all of history, this moment. John is looking to connect this mark with the story of of Thomas struggling with unbelief. And that is exactly what we get in this story when Jesus meets Thomas. Thomas is here in unbelief. All of his hope has been crushed. His world has been turned upside down. Clearly, Thomas is without peace. He's refusing to believe the testimony of the other disciples. Yet Jesus shows up and brings life by his very presence. He shows Thomas his scars from suffering and all of Thomas's doubts melt away. So here is our main point of the text. Here's, I believe, what John is doing with this passage. He's showing that Jesus overcomes Thomas's unbelief by his resurrected presence and proof of love for him. The main point is this, Jesus overcomes Thomas's unbelief by his resurrected presence and proof of his love for him. So what was Thomas not willing to believe? In essence, what Thomas was not willing to believe is that Jesus had died, yet he was alive again. That was a struggle. And here is the reality for you. Here's the reality for me. Here is your need. You and I have the exact same issue of unbelief. The great equalizer for us all is this. Whether you're a child or whether you're an adult, whether you're a believer or whether you have never believed before, whether you're strong in the faith or whether you're barely holding on, whether you're just faking it until you make it or whether you're the real deal, wherever you are, In your heart of hearts, you struggle with unbelief and doubt. It's true. And the answer for us is the same as the answer was for Thomas. Our doubts and our unbelief are overcome by the resurrected presence of Jesus by his spirit, who is here with us right now, and by the proof of his love for us. He is near to any who call on him. And my hope is this, is that today it would be abundantly clear to you where your struggle of unbelief is and that you would own it 
you would see it for what it is and that you would cry out afresh to Jesus, the risen Savior, and find life in his name. I want to take a moment and uh, just give us a chance to pray. I want to stop the usual flow and just break. I'm going to give us all two minutes because here's the thing, guys. We all love to play church. We all love to show up. But I want us to just take a moment and, and allow you to do business with the Lord and ask the Lord. And maybe you know, where, where is the unbelief that I may be struggling with? So I want to give us two minutes and just cry out. If you don't know, your prayer could just be, God, show me where that is. But I want to take a moment as we continue with this sermon to just deal with the fact that Jesus is here by his presence even now and he wants to commune with you. So go ahead, take a moment now. Father, I ask that you would help us in this moment. I ask that you would be exalted, that you would be lifted high, even in the midst of our struggle. Would we not, not stay there, but would we look to you? Would we see you as lovely and beautiful and worthy of worship and praise? And would we just find faith in Christ? So our movements today from this text are as follows. There's really three movements. We have verses 24 and 25, which is the unbelief of Thomas. Then we have the bulk of our text, verses 26 through 29, which is the solution to unbelief, Jesus's presence and proof of love for Thomas. And then we have the summary verses, verses 30 and 31, the reason for the gospel. Believe in Jesus and have life. So the first movement, the unbelief of Thomas. Verse 24, but then Thomas, but Thomas, one of the 12 called Didymus was not with them when Jesus came. Didymus means the twin, one of the twins was not with Jesus. We're not exactly sure why Thomas was not present when Jesus first appeared on the night of his resurrection. It's not abundantly clear. There's been a lot of, of speculation as to why Thomas was not present, but the only thing we know for sure is that Thomas was not present. We have them verse 25. So the other disciples were saying to him, we have seen the Lord. 
The other disciples are rejoicing. Their Messiah is alive. Jesus has appeared to them. The one they have followed has appeared, and he is alive. He is not dead. He had given them peace, and he had granted them with a commission. The joy of hope had been renewed, and that can't help but spill over. They have life again. But how does Thomas respond? But he said to them, this is the second, second half of verse 25, he said to them, unless I see in his hands the imprint of the nails and I put my finger into the place of the nails and I put my hands into his side, I will not believe. Notice here the characteristics of Thomas's unbelief. Unless I see and touch, I will not believe. Do you see the conditions? Unless. Do you see the obstinance? I will not. So the question is, why is Thomas in unbelief? I think the answer starts at the heart level. Because the reality is what the Bible teaches is that belief is a heart level reality. The heart is the center of your will. It's the center of who you are. That is how God has created you. And that is the goal with believing that you would believe from your heart. Trust and confidence in God from the innermost part of who you are. That is what God is after. It is at the heart level where there is the origination of your will and your actions. They come from your heart. And here's what God knows about you, and this is what you know about yourself intuitively. We all know this, is that if God has your heart, he has all of you. Here, Romans 10, which really explains, I think the the language here in Romans 10 is very important. This is verses 9 and 10. That if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart, that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart, a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth, he confesses, resulting in salvation. So, it, so with Thomas, the question of why was he not believing, it was a heart issue for him. Thomas had believed that all his life was to be found in Jesus. John starts off the book with, in him was life, and life was, and the life was the light of men. In chapter 10, Jesus said, I have come that you might have life and life abundantly. Thomas came to Jesus and had found life. He had given up everything to follow Jesus. He had started to believe that Israel or that Jesus was Israel's Messiah, that all hope for the future for himself and Israel was to be found in Jesus. Jesus was Thomas's very life. But now Jesus is dead. All hope has been crushed. It must have been a false hope. What despair Thomas must have been having. On top of that, Thomas had not followed Jesus to die with him, but had hid and gave up on the promise of the Messiah. 
he had betrayed Jesus. What guilt and shame. You know, I wonder if the reason Thomas wasn't with the disciples that first night is because he was so caught up in his own guilt and shame and despair. He just didn't want to be with anyone. Has anyone ever been to that place? I've been there. At this moment, it really doesn't matter what the other disciples will say. He will not believe. So here's the question for us. What does your struggle of unbelief look like? What has life thrown at you that makes believing in Jesus so difficult? Have you been betrayed? Have you been abused? Have you been surprised by the level of your own depravity and selfishness towards others? Or possibly simply you are just content with life without Jesus at the center? Are you struggling to believe that Jesus is truly all-satisfying? What is the lie that the world has fed to you that you may be believing instead of that Jesus is the one who is all-satisfying? Is it the American dream that if you just get enough in your 401k and have that nest egg, everything will be fine? Is it having a successful career? Is it that next big vacation? Is it just living a life of ease and comfort? What is it that may have your heart in a place of just coldness, if it is, towards Jesus? Jesus is the all-satisfying one. The solution to the unbelief in Thomas is that Jesus meets with Thomas. Jesus overcomes Thomas's unbelief by his resurrected presence and proof of love for him. Verses 26, or verse 26, after eight days, his disciples were again inside and Thomas with them. Jesus came and doors having been shut, shut and stood there in their midst and said, peace be with you. This is eight days after his first appearance. The doors are shut and locked, most likely due to fear. That's what it says in verse 19. And Jesus shows up again and says, peace be with you. He said it two times when he showed up before. This time he says it again. It looks like he is directing his attention towards Thomas. So why does he do this? And I think the answer is because Thomas is crushed and he is unbelief. Solving this issue of Thomas's unbelief is the reason for Jesus's second visit. And here's the thing, Jesus is the good shepherd. He is the one who lays down his life for the sheep. He will lose none of the sheep that come to him. He leaves the 99 and he goes after the one. He comes and he calls and he assures that each of his own will win the fight of faith. He assures this with his very presence and the scars of his love. So I would just ask, do you know this good shepherd of your soul? He has not given up on you. He will assure that you endure to the very end. And if you're struggling to believe it, read Romans chapter eight. 
learn and memorize the victory that you have through Christ. Read Psalm 23, memorize it. Know that you have a good shepherd that has not given up on you. So Jesus is standing in their midst in verse 27, and he says, he said to Thomas, reach here with your finger and see my hands. Reach here with your hand and put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. Notice here what Jesus does not do. He does not bring a strong rebuke to Thomas. He doesn't say, how dare you, Thomas, you obstinate man. You're slow to hear. He doesn't say, come on, Thomas, you should be further along by now. And here's a fact, Thomas was obstinate. Thomas was putting conditions on believing in the creator of the universe. Jesus had every right to rebuke Thomas strongly, but he does not. Do you know what he does? He gives in to Thomas's conditions. What a mystery. Jesus gives in to the conditions of Thomas. And I think you and I think God should work. Obstinance, strong rebuke. That's how things work. But praise God. Praise God, brothers and sisters, that's not how he works with us. Jesus invites Thomas to reach out his finger and his hands and touch Jesus' hands and touch his side. Jesus knows that Thomas's unbelief will be healed as he sees Jesus as resurrected and yet the, the one who died for his sin. And I want to just, I want you to hear how this gospel applies to you. You are obstinate at times toward a holy God. There's areas of your heart that are not fully believing and trusting in the Lord. We deserve much more than just a strong rebuke. We deserve, according to scripture, hell and eternal punishment. Yet Jesus stands even now by his presence, by his spirit, and he says this, come to me. I am alive. He says, come to me. I have died, but I am alive. He says, come to me, I have died for you and for your sins. Come to me, I love you. Come to me and have life and life abundantly. Now there's an important thing here. Jesus does say at the end of verse 27, do not be unbelieving, but believing. I think it's important to note, you have Jesus here welcoming Thomas telling him to come and find life, to believe in him, but he doesn't just stop there. He does know the best thing for Thomas is to come out of unbelief and to believe in him. I think that's key. Verse 28, we have Thomas's confession. Thomas answered and said to him, my Lord and my God. Where are all of Thomas's conditions now? 
Notice that Thomas does not actually go and touch his hands or his side. No more conditions. Where is the obstinance of Thomas now? All has been melted away by the presence of his resurrected Savior and the proof of his love for him. We have here one of the greatest confessions of faith in all of Scripture of who Jesus is. What John had made clear indirectly throughout the Gospel of John, Thomas now makes abundantly clear with no ambiguity that Jesus is both Lord and God of all. My Lord and my God. My, the word my, so personal. It's possessive. I am my beloved's and he is mine. Jesus accepts the worship, the adoration, the praise from Thomas without any resistance. He accepts the worship, and then he takes it one, one step further in verse 29. He sets up for us the foundation of all who will believe moving forward. It says this, Jesus said to him, because you have seen me, have you believed? Blessed are they who did not see and yet believed. Jesus is asking a question to Thomas. He's saying, because you have seen me, is that why you have believed? Seems almost rhetorical. I think what he is saying is that, is this what it takes, Thomas, for you to believe? And the answer is, no, it's not ultimately what is required for belief. And with this, Jesus sets up the way that all moving forward will believe in him. Blessed are they who did not see me and yet believed. This is how you and I believe. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 7, it says, walk by faith and not by sight. Hear this description of our faith in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 7 and 9 through 9. So that the proof of your faith being more precious than gold which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Here's verse 8. And though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you greatly, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. I just want to take uh, a moment and speak to any who have never believed in the Lord Jesus. Whether you're a child, whether you're an adult, I know there are always a lot of questions. There's a lot of things that may not fully be understood, but here it is in the most simplest format. You can be saved today by believing on the Lord Jesus Christ that he died for your sins and that, you were raised, that he was raised again, that he is Lord of all and that he is to be trusted with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength. We get to verse 30 and 31, the reason for the gospel. Therefore, many other signs Jesus, did, Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, 
the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. In other words, Jesus did many other signs, but what is recorded in the gospel is sufficient for you to believe. The word of God through the written testimony of John and the other apostles is strong enough to save you. There's no need for us to look any further than the Bible for what we need for life. This is the book of life, that believing in Jesus, we may have life. The last bit of verse 31, and that believing you may have life, and that is the end goal, that you and I would have life and life abundantly. Jesus said, I have come that you may have life and life abundantly. I wanna close here just with a few simple applications. I would just encourage you, if you are struggling with unbelief in your heart, be honest. The normal Christian life is one of struggle with unbelief and with doubt. We all do it. We all have areas of our life where we have trouble believing the names of Christ. And I would just say, please be honest with yourself. And secondly, I'd say this, be honest with those around you. Walk in community with others. If there are areas of your heart where you know you're struggling, where you have trouble believing the Lord, Bring that out into the light. That is the normal Christian life. That is how we are called to live this life.